Hello, this is Ashley Chase welcoming you to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. For more content from my dad, Pastor Mark, Senior Pastor here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, visit realfaith.com, where you'll find study guides to go along with each sermon series as he preaches verse by verse through books of the Bible, daily devotions, free ebooks, and more. Now grab your Bibles and get ready for today's sermon. Thanksgiving? Yes. I'm very thankful that I don't have to preach this weekend. Amen. So I am really honored to uh, invite up in just a moment our special guest who will be preaching. How many of you know Nathan Pinocchio and Theosu? We got some fans in the house, most likely. Uh, about four years ago, he started putting out Bible teaching. And now I think you've got 7,000 that sign up for Bible teaching. It's the equivalent of like a Bible college or seminary online. And about half of those are young pastors who are learning God's word. And so uh, for those of you who are visiting us, we're honored and glad to have you. Uh, But we really appreciate those who teach the Bible. We appreciate those who are willing to have some conflict and controversy to defend the Bible, amen? And so we're really honored to have him join us today. And I just wanna personally thank you, Nathan, for your public ministry, defending orthodoxy, teaching the Bible with humor and a sense of personality. And as God's people, we all said, amen, right? So uh, why don't you just give me a really warm, loud welcome for Pastor Nathan as he comes up and teaches us tonight. All right. Thank you, Pastor Mark. This is so cool. This is... um... This is a huge, um, this is a huge honor to, to be here, Pastor Mark and Grace. Um, thank you so much for having me. Um, this is my phone. I'm just gonna set up some Netflix while I, I speak here. Um, <laughs> catch up. Um, <laughs> so, uh, when after I was telling Pastor Mark this earlier today, after Bible college, my dad's a pastor uh, of a church in a, a community, 1,800 people in Canada. I'm a Canadian. Are there any Canadians here? Yeah, okay. It's Phoenix, of course. Um, why, why wouldn't there be? Um, so this is in Ontario, uh, Canada. And uh, so um, I went to, to Bible college in Portland, Oregon, the, the devil's belly, um, and went, went back home. And I youth pastored uh, for my dad for three years there. And I, you know, in Bible college, they don't teach you how to preach. Not really. Like, they're just kind of like, well, here's, you know, here's some commentaries, figure it out. And so I was a huge fan um, of Pastor Mark. And so I would just rip all of his sermons um, every Wednesday night. Um, and so I've, um, yeah, this is just surreal, you know, for me to all these years later, you know, getting to be here. So it's a real honor. Um, I love you and your family. I'm thankful for your ministry. And I believe that the best is yet to come. Uh, for this church, and uh, yeah, I'm thankful for your voice. Uh, the, la- the last couple of years, we've had Pastor Mark uh, speak into a couple of our conferences, and your voice is needed more now than ever, um, and I'm really thankful um, for how bold you are, and I'm thankful for Trinity Church. Um, churches like this, are, we desperately need uh, churches like this, and pastors like y'all um, who, who love the scripture, and uh, I love Jesus, and you do it so well. So thank you so much uh, for having me. Okay. Um, today, if you're, if you're taking notes, uh, if you're a note taker, I mean, you do go to Pastor Mark Driscoll's church. So I'm assuming that one does take out the proverbial pen and pencil. Um, we got one amen, so that's fantastic. Okay. Um, so, so, so if you're taking notes, the, the title of this sermon or... 
uh, or talk, because I'm kind of sitting down, so is it even a sermon, um, is um, what is God like? And um, I'm just going to create a sketch today about what God is like, but I want to take two concepts that I think seem to be competing uh, in the church at large at the moment, particularly in the United States or the West, and I want to just discuss them. Um, and so I want to do a couple things. So I want to show that um, the scriptures are, are full of tension. Um, I had a prof in Bible college that said all truth is in tension. And it's sort of like putting up a pup tent and you have strings pulling one side of the tent and then you have strings pulling the other side of the tent. And um, the, the Bible often has these seemingly contradictory statements but it's not a contradiction, it's just a tension. Um, I'll give you an example in the book of Proverbs. I can't remember the address off the top of my head. Um, but it's, uh, it goes like this. Rebuke a fool um, uh, in his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. It's like, okay, rebuke a fool in his folly. Okay, okay, Bible. And then the next verse is like, don't rebuke a fool in his folly, you know, lest you be like him. And it's like, what do I do, Bible? <laughs> Right? right? So, so seemingly contradictory. It's not contradictory. It's just that both of those things can be true in a different circumstance, right? Um, and so there's this tension there of wisdom. And wisdom is the application of knowledge, right? It's knowing when to apply which tool. Um, so the, the Bible's full of those. And, and so uh, I, I want to show two thoughts about God that seem to be contradictory, but they're actually not. They're complementary. Um, and, and, and we need to be a people who can have some tensions. It's, it's, it's interesting how when you're three or you're four years old and your parents spank you, I mean, my dad spanked. I think I was spanked until I was 14. Um, <laughs> deserved it too. Uh, but you know, my, when my dad would discipline me, he would always, is annoyed the crap out of me. I don't know if we're allowed to say that in church, but. But he would go, he'd like, son, I love you. And I'm like, you don't love me. You know, like, he'd spank me. But then I really felt like he loved me. And that's, that is like paradoxical, isn't it? You know, like, that's like, um, that's top of the Maslow pyramid paradox, right? Where it's like, but a three or four-year-old can understand that paradox where my dad loves me. And also, he's not taking any of my garbage tonight, you know, like, and he's spanking me. Somehow, when we turn 21, it's like, God is only love, and he is never, you know, he never, he never punishes. And it's like, are you, you're freaking kidding me, right? <laughs> We're reading the same Bible, right? Um, so there is that where seemingly the older that we get at times and, and you know you go to university and then you're in your 20s and we just dismiss all of the paradox in scripture about God's self-revelation um, but you're capable of, of, of quantifying it as a three-year-old um, so there is that so I want to I want to take a look at some some paradox um, and then the next thing that I want to do is I want to read um, I want to read some of the scariest stories in the Bible tonight. You go to Pastor Mark's church, so you've been scared before, so I figured that we could, <laughs> we could, we could do that. Um, so these are the passages. I'm a pastor's kid, right? And when you're a pastor's kid, you love to go into the Bible verses that are just like the naughty ones, you know, like, um, and just be like, that's, that's insane, um, you know. 
So I want to like go into the scary ones, you know, the ones that we wouldn't usually talk about. And I want to read them canonically, meaning we're going to read them, I guess, you know, through that the historical movement of, of Scripture and kind of the way that it's laid out. And then we're going to read into the New Testament. Now, when you read narrative, uh, it can be tricky because the Bible isn't always prescribing uh, particularly in narrative. Narrative isn't always prescribing behavior. Many times it's just describing an event, right? And so when we're reading scripture, we have to ask ourselves, is this prescriptive or is this just descriptive? You know what I mean? Like, for example, Cain and Abel. Like, should, is the Bible saying, kill your brother, <laughs> right? Or is this just describing an event that happened, right? And, and, and how would we, you know, know... Uh, what the lesson is. And so obviously we, we read canonically, or maybe not obviously, but that's why we need to read canonically. Um, so we're going to read these, these, these stories, and then we're going to go into the New Testament, and we're going to read stories. And then the story, these stories are going to terminate in clear apostolic teaching. And basically, we can learn, the point is that we can learn from these stories. So I want to kind of sh uh, teach while I'm teaching, if that makes sense. Does that sound good? Okay, it's a, that was a mouthful. All right, so let's, let's look at our first passage of Scripture here. Uh, this is Jesus talking. And there, there it is, John 4.24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Uh, I believe that uh, it's Wayne Grudem that says that when Jesus says God is spirit, what he's saying is God is qualitatively other. Um, God is, is, is he's this other thing. Um, he's not made of the same stuff that you and I are made of. Um, he's not made of, uh, he's not confined to time, space, and matter. Um, I remember in high school we learned about time, space, matter, and how like they all, time, space, and matter, they all work together. Like before there was time and space and matter, there was no time, there was no space, and there was no matter. And then the universe was, was born. You know, God, obviously we, God spoke, we believe that, uh, hopefully you believe that, that God spoke the worlds into existence in Genesis chapter one, right? And all of a sudden, time, space, and matter, they all, they, they're, they're dependent upon one another. That's what we learned in, in, in high school. Well, hopefully you learned that in high school. Maybe you don't remember, but here's a refresher. So, <laughs> so, um, so the idea is that whoever, or some scientists say, or they ask the question, whatever created time, space, and matter must live outside of time, space, and matter. You following me here? So, uh, was it Stephen Hawking, the guy in the wheelchair that talked with the computer? Um, remember his whole life, the whole life, like his whole life, he was trying to figure out who or what made time, space, and matter, right? The, the universe is expanding, and so it means that there's a point of, that it was created, and so who, who lives on the other side of time, space, and matter? Who's not made of time, or not made of matter and is not confined to time and space. Like, and so Stephen Hawking, after his whole life, he decided that it was aliens that were not... <laughs> right? Like, so it was, it was this other, these other beings that are not, they're not confined to, confined to time and space. But they live outside of time, space, and matter. And they're made of something else. And they're the ones who created time and space continuum. And so then, you know, one must ask, well... Who created those aliens? <laughs> right? And of course, his answer was, more aliens. <laughs> right? It's, okay, well, then one must ask, 
who created the more aliens, right? And so we believe, as Christians, we believe that God is, he's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the beginning. And the, well, he has no beginning, he has no end. And that is the most logical answer to the question you know, of origin, right? God exists outside of time, space, and matter. And, and Jesus is sort of getting at God is spirit. He's, he's something else. God's not Casper the friendly ghost, uh, but he's not made of what you're made of. Um, and it's, it is pretty crazy. Now, I'm never going to, being that God is not confined to time, space, and matter, and I am, I can't know God unless he invades the time-space continuum and reveals himself to me. Amen. You hearing me? Because I'm stuck here. He's on the other side of, of what this is. And I, I can't, I, anything that I would say about him would just be postulation, right? Like it would just be like, okay, here's a, here's a, here's a guesstimate what God is like. Well, the, cool, the, the story of the Bible is that God, who's made of something else, God whose spirit came into our story and he said, hi, it's me. <laughs> this is my name. Who are you? I, I, what? Well, I am is kind of my name. I just am. I exist. Well, it's a great name for a guy who lives outside of the time-space continuum, right? <laughs> if you think about it. And so God invades our story and he begins to reveal himself and he's, he's telling us about who he is, right? Because because we're part of this time space, everything would be guesstimation, but he, there's no guesswork. He's invaded and he's, he's a person because God's a person. He's not an, an, an impersonal cosmic force, right? He's a person and as a person, he has preferences. And so he tells us about who he is and he self-reveals. And, and now I can, I can know God. I can know God because he has first revealed himself to me, right? Um, but I'm never going to know God exhaustively. And what I mean by that is this. Um, when I go to heaven, I'm not going to be part of the Trinity. I'm never going to be made of the same substance as the, the, you know, the, the Fab Three. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm always going to be something other, right? A lower form of intelligence. And I'm never going to be able to... I'm, do you actually think that you're going to go and you're going to look at God? You're going to... I get it. I get it. Oh! Oh! That's not heaven, dude. No, no. When you see God, you're going to be, you're going to be like, I don't get it. But, wow. And, 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 and that is going to continue on for eternity. And it'll be to the praise of his glory. We're going to be just worshiping every day. God's going to do a new sunrise. And we're going to be like, what? Did you see the sunrise today? It was insane. We're just going to worship. I'm never going to know God exhaustively. Everything there is. I can't even know my wife exhaustively, dude. <laughs> right? Like, good luck. I think it was, it was Oscar Wilde that said, women are not made to be understood. They're made to be loved. Um, a fellow traveler. I'm clueless. I'm, I'm just, right? I'm just a blind beggar. I'm never going to know God exhaustively, but I can know him accurately. Amen. I can know Jazz, my wife. I can know Jasmine accurately. I'm never going to know her exhaustively, but I can through self-revelation. And Jesus says that God is spirit, okay? And he's just something else. 
And those who worship him must worship him in spirit. So there is this deep that calls to deep connection. And there is this eternal part of man that leaps when that eternal being, Yahweh, the, the triune God speaks and, and, and we sense his presence and we can't put a finger on it. You know, like the, the undeniable always trumps the unexplainable. And you, have you ever had those moments in God or seasons of God or right where you, I sense the presence of God. I, right, my spirit is something. Unexpl- I can't put my finger on it, but I, and, and, and Jesus is saying, yeah, 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 worship, worship him in spirit, but you need to worship him also in truth. And that, that's the type of worshiper that God is looking for. Yeah, cool. And just here's an application. Yeah, that's great. Be charis- I'm a charismatic. I believe in all the, the crazy stuff. Okay? And I love charismatic worship, but we need to worship in spirit, cool, and in truth. Right? I can know God accurately because of his self-revelation in Scripture. All right, next verse. Let's keep going. Revelation 4.8, there's this snapshot that John takes. Um, and this is happening right now. You get the four living creatures, each of them with six wings. I guess some angels are faster than others. <laughs> Can you imagine being the two-wing angel? It's like, this sucks, right? They're like, <laughs> And they're full of eyes all around and within. It's like, why do you have eyes within? Imagine like looking at somebody with just eyes everywhere. Like you creep. What are you looking at? It's like I'm sorry. I just I have a lot of eyes. <laughs> and, and the per the purpose. Sorry, it's my it's my PK brain with the Bible. And they're like literally they're designed to get aerial views of of God. They're, they're like their body is a GoPro, right? And they just helicopter around God and they just look at him and they stare at him and, and their job is to say what they see, right? So they have this super close proximity to God and they're flying around and they're just looking at him and what do they say? Rather, what do they sing? Even better, when they see, holy, holy, holy. Like, what's, what's the one word that you would use to describe God? Guys, you're, you're so close to him, you see every angle of him. Holy. One for each person of the Trinity. Right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was. This is the song that never ends. This is the song. It's going on right now. And, you know, God is called holy uh, over 400 times in the Bible. Jesus calls the Father, Holy Father. Even the demons call Jesus the Holy One of God. Right? Remember he's shushing them? He's like, shh. Don't, don't spoil it, right? They know who he is. They know what to call him, right? The, and then the third person of the Trinity, his first name is literally Holy. It should give it away. Right? That's... If you're wondering, you know, well, God's only holy in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he's like my desperate boyfriend. Right? No, it's, no, yeah, so we're living in the age of the Holy Spirit. Right? Remember Jesus high-fived? He's like, enjoy that. They killed me. Right? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's here. You and I are living in the, do you know that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now, right? We are living in the, the church, the age of the, the Holy Spirit, Right? The Holy Spirit is the one who is God with us and he animates 
right? He's the one who mediates the presence of Christ in the church, right? Um, he's the Holy Spirit. Once again, it should give it away. God's holy. And um, let's go to our next verse. And, and this, is, this, is, this is true as well. 1 John 4.8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. God is love. That's true. God is called love twice in the Bible. In the same section. 1 John 4. Now, you would think that if you walked into the, into our, the average evangelical church, that the adverse was true. From all of our songs, from our emphases, from our teaching and our preaching, our, our, our catechism, catechizing, everything, and all of our verbiage, right, and all of our marketing, that God is called love over 400 times, right, that Jesus calls the Father, you know, loving Father, the demons call Jesus loving one of God. And the Holy Spirit's name is Love Spirit, and he does LSD and goes to Coachella. <laughs> right? I'm not saying that God isn't love. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is maybe there's a bit of an imbalance at times. Like, maybe God's love is a holy love. God's holiness has to do with his absolute moral perfection. That he's just, he, he doesn't miss buckets. He doesn't make bad decisions. And he's committed to being pure and holy and absolutely perfectly moral. And he won't compromise on it. Like, it, it's just never going to happen. And so, but then there's this story, and the Bible is this story of a holy God who's perfect, but wants relationship with these rebels, right? Right? We're not like, we're not, we're not rebels who, got, who ran away from mom and dad and got lost in the woods, right? We like ate mom and dad. <laughs> and God's just like, wow, you're disgusting. What's wrong with you? Um, but I love you. I'm coming for you. God initiates that relationship with Adam and Eve, right? He's a holy God, though. And so he's, he, and he's wanting the story of, you read the Old Testament, it's the story of this holy, sinless, so committed to his, his, his purity, and he won't compromise, and I'm thankful for that. Um, but he still wants relationship with me, this terrorist, <laughs> this rebel. Um. And so God's going, uh, I, want to be, and I want to be close to you and I want to be your God, but I, I'm holy. There's some special things about me, right? And I think that that's still true today, that God is, is holy even today. Um, so that's what I want to talk about in our room. I want to read some stories and I want to just explore that paradox of God's holiness that I think sometimes seems to be missing from our, our imagination, our theological imagination. When we think of what, what is God like, I think it's, it would be good for us to recover that tension of, yeah, he's love, absolutely. He's, he is loving. He's merciful. He's kind. He's slow to anger. 
You know, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our trans... I mean, that's incredible. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm into... Um, before we start looking at these, these stories, I just want to tell you, I, mean, I, I love um, psychometrics. My brother believes that, like, the Enneagram is satanic. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I like, I like that stuff. I love it. Um, I'm all in, you know, with those Jungian ar- archetypes. You know, there's childhood stages of childhood wounding and, you know, yada, yada. I like, um, I like uh, what's the one that we, you do in college? The, um, not the strength finders, the um, Myers-Briggs. Have you ever done the Myers-Briggs? Yeah. Right? You're just like, right? Yep. ENTJ over here, Napoleon, whatever, it's horrible. Um, <laughs> little man complex. Um, uh, I, I, I will go on Facebook and find out which Disney princess I am. You know, I, I, lo- I love that stuff. You know what I mean? Jasmine, again. <laughs> I love that stuff. I am deeply wounded. Um, I like that, that idea that your personality is just your, it's your protective cocoon. It's, your, it's, your, it's how you navigate a world of people, right? And so it, it just exists. I, I, was, um, I was recently talking to some friends from high school. I'm going to be 40 this year. And we're, we're talking, you know, guys that I hung out with when I was 17 years old. And I immediately reverted to a personality that I had when I was 17. You know what I mean? Like, and I remember driving home just like, you know, fake crying, like, what was that? You know what I mean? Like, you go back into that protective cocoon that you were. It's fascinating how the personality works. I'm interested in all that. I have a friend named uh, Jim McNeish, and um, he's, he's, he's brilliant in, in all this stuff. And, and um, we were talking about these personality assessments and, and psychometrics, and I'm saying, like, Jim, Jim do, you, do you believe this stuff? He's like, yeah, there's an element of truth to it, but n- none of it's the truth. Um, and he said this, because you, you aren't your trauma, right? That, that's not who you are. Even though your, your personality might, might uh, be how you protect yourself from further trauma, but that's not who you are. Um, and, and so thus, if your personality formed from trauma, that's not actually who you are. Who you are um, is your passion, and your passion, the Latin word passion, literally means to suffer. You are what you're willing to suffer for. That's who you are. Um, I think that when we look at the cross, that's who God is. If you're wondering, like, what did Jesus suffer for? Jesus suffered for the holiness of God and for the love of God. Right? If you're, if you're wondering, what is, what is God like? Look at the passion. Interesting. That's what God's like. At the cross, God's going, no, I have to deal with sin. I won't not deal with sin. I'm absolutely dealing with sin. This is happening. But I'm doing this because I have this holy love. You know, not just an affection for, but like I, I intend the good for humanity and for these rebels. I'm going to heal them. That's what God is like. He's holy and he's loving. Okay, let's look at our our first scary verse. You guys ready? Okay, here we go. Genesis 4. Uh, So in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And 
And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. So, you know, Cain brings an offering, right? It's an offering. But Abel's bringing uh, the firstborn, and he's bringing the fat portions. That's ancient Near Eastern speak for the yummy stuff, right? Like, Abel's bringing stuff that he would eat, right? Cain's bringing, like, a bruised banana. He's like, I don't want this. Maybe God will like it, right? Uh, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, obviously, because Abel's like, here's the, the most delicious ever that fatty. Oh my, can I watch you eat it? Like, <laughs> has somebody, somebody ever given you something and they're like, eat it. I just want to watch you eat it. It's like, okay, weirdo. <laughs> Why are you recording me? You know? Um, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, obviously. God's like, dude, you don't even like this stuff. Why am I going to like this stuff? <laughs> right? that, that's what you think of me, what you brought to me. That's a whole other sermon entirely. So Cain was very angry. Oh, his face fell. He's like the first deconstructionist. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm sad. I didn't get my way. <laughs> My, uh, my niece, Georgie, okay, so uh, uh, I have two nieces, Frank, Frankie, Francesca, we call her Frankie because she's naughty, she's seven, and then there's Georgie, Georgie's four, and uh, Frankie is like a tomboy, she wears spandex because she's going to roundhouse kick you to the face at any moment, right, she's super aggressive, and then there's Georgie, and Georgie is a girly girl, um, and Georgie loves dresses. She loves Disney princess dresses, especially. Um, and it's like every day she gets up and she always wears a dress. She'll never wear pants. She always wears dresses. And she wakes up in the morning and she looks in the mirror and she'll put a dress on and then she'll go like this. She'll be like. <laughs> she always does like the kick at the back. It's hilarious. And she does it to see how spinny the dress will be because she's seen the Disney, right? Like the, the, the dress has to spin, right? And if it doesn't spin enough and it's not flowing enough, she'll go and she'll take it off. She'll put on another dress. And um, so I was FaceTiming my mom and my sister and they were uh, thrift shopping for Georgie to get some dresses because my mom is a seamstress and she does miraculous things or whatever with dresses. And so they had this, this big dress on Georgie and, and mom had it, all the, the, the material kind of bunched up because it was too long for her. And you know when they put all the needles in to bunch up the thing because mom's figuring out where she's going to sew it or whatever. And I'm, we're FaceTiming and Georgie has the dress on and so mom finishes, the, like, puts the last needle in and she's okay, spin, spin Georgie, show Uncle Nate, show Uncle Nate. She's like, okay. And she does like this, she spins around, but the dress wouldn't swirl because there's too much like material bunched up at the bottom and she started to ball her eyes out. And so they're like, oh my God, oh my God. And so get it, get it off of her, right? So mom <laughs> took the dress off her, put on her other dress. She immediately stopped crying. She's like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Georgie, Georgie doesn't really know me. Uh, like, I might as well be Willy Wonka to, ja to, to, to Georgie, because I give her chocolate. I hook her up with chocolate. She calls it gawkwek. Uncle Nate, you got me gawkwek. Um, and I love to hook her up with chocolate. I just like to be the hero. Um, and, uh, and she loves Krispy Kreme donuts. I introduced her to Krispy Kreme. Um, we're at a family barbecue this, this last year uh, for Labor Day. 
and uh, we were living in Palm Springs at the time, and we're in the pool, and, and there's about 20 of us or whatever, and so we're about to say grace and eat the food, and my brother-in-law had told me, um, hey, you know, stop giving the girls uh, Krispy Kreme donuts, like they're going crazy, and I'm like, yeah, I won't do that at all, you know, um, but before we said the prayer, people are kind of gathering for the prayer, Georgie's like, Uncle can I have another Krispy Kreme donut, and I'm like, Outside, meet me over by the pool, right? So I get this donut. I go over and I'm like, here, eat it. You know, and she's like, I'm like, what are you, Gollum? You know, like, she's like, she inhales this donut. And I'm like, shh, quiet, okay? So we go in, we're gonna do the prayer, and there's like a moment of silence, you know, because we're, you know, you're kind of like, who's gonna lead this moment? Georgie goes into the middle. And she goes, Uncle Nate, that was the best donut I ever had in my whole life. And I'm like, you narc. You don't care about me. You just care about what you could get. When I read this story about Cain and Abel, Cain is Georgie. Right? Life doesn't swirl. Right? He mails it in. Dude, are you kidding me? What? What universe are you living in right now? You mailed this thing into God, and then God's like, yeah, I'm not accepting this. And then you're the one that gets sad? <laughs> the dress didn't swirl. <laughs> you know? I didn't get a Krispy Kreme donut. That's not how spirituality works. I call these people Christian Buddhists. Right? Like they have a, a spirituality, but it's on their terms. Yeah, I'm a spiritual person. Oh, are you? Cool, tell me about that. Well, you know, on, on Saturdays I have pottery class. Um, and we listen to, you know, spiritual music. And, and then on Mondays I have yoga. And on Sundays I go to a church where it's like a, kind of an encouraging word. And I'm just like really manifesting like a lot of my dreams. And they're helping me manifest my dreams. I'm like, yeah, you're manifesting something, all right. <laughs> Right? And then there's things in the Bible that I don't like. It's like, oh, just cut them out. And, you know, just, it's all about me and my dreams. And Jesus is my butler. Right? Help me. He's my life coach. <laughs> yeah, we do Zoom calls. And I talk about what I want. And then he kind of coaches me on how to get it. And that's Christian Buddhism. Okay, let's keep going. The Lord said to Cain, like, why are you sad, little sad angel? You know what I mean? Like, oh, Cain. And why is your, why is your face fallen? He's the first emo in the Bible. <laughs> if you do well, bro, if you do well, you know what you're supposed to do. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desires is contrary to you. Cain, if you don't get this the relationship with God thing right, and you don't like start to live in reality, sin is going to destroy you. You got to rule over it. Cain spoke to, to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. This is the first worship service in the Bible and a guy dies. I think it's Bruce Waltke that says that um, Cain's failure at the altar produced death in the field. Let's keep going. Uh, Nadab and Abihu, two other brothers, this is their first day on the job. The blood of ordination is still wet on their right lobe and their right thumb and their right big toe. And they're the sons of Aaron. 
and they're, they're priests, because they're first day on the job. They each take a censer, and they put fire in it, and they laid incense on it, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. So God basically went through a whole like work training thing. They sat had to sit through. He's like, okay, guys, so this is what you do, this is what you don't do. Uh, you're a new priest, and so we're going to do this, and we're, don't do this, and do this, and don't do this. There's this whole thing. And then their first day on the job, they're like, how about, what if I just did whatever I wanted? Okay, try that. We'll see how that works. And so that's exactly what they do. They're like, well, we're priests. This is going to be awesome. We can do whatever we want. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and made them Chick-fil-A, and they died there. Right? Once again, it's like this thing was, uh, it wasn't about God. It was about them. And God's just like, yeah, nah, nah, nah. How about not? Right? (laughs) Next passage. 2 Samuel, this is David. And David's the worship king. Right? He's, He's the guy that knows he's the man after God's own heart. And he has a really great desire to bring the ark of God into Jerusalem. That's a good, he he desires the presence of God. Good intentions here, okay? And David and all the house of Israel, they're celebrating before the Lord. Songs, check. Lyres and harps, check. Tambourines, double check. Hello. (laughs) Castanets and cymbals. And when they come to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah, he's a priest, but he sucks at his job, okay? Because Uzzah had this great idea to put the Ark of God, which is a golden box, it's like God's basically throne room on earth, to put it on a, uh, the equivalent of an old pickup truck, on an ox cart. Now, I don't know about you, but like, if I had something precious, I wouldn't put it in the back of an old F- F-150. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't even put a TV that I care about in the back of an F-150, let alone, I don't know, God. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, well, have you ever talked to those guys? Yeah, just strap her down with some bungee cord. How about not? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to maybe have this delivered with care. You know what I mean? Have the professionals carry it, right? Uh, so they come to the threshing floor, and Uzzah puts out his hand to the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled, and the Ford F-150 blew a back tire. And so now, you know, the Ark is, like, teetering, you know, and God's like, ah, and Uzzah's like, ah, and God's like, ah, <laughs> ah, and then God's like, you suck, and kills, kills Uzzah, because God's like, are you freaking kidding me right now? I'm God, and in the ancient Near East, you at least carried a king on the poles. Do you know what I'm saying? And God's going, I'm a king. I, I told you, I told you this. Moses wrote a whole book about it. I told him to write this book so that you'd honor me. And like, when you honor me, you guys win all your battles. I literally literally fight for you. You do nothing. I bless you. I do all this awesome stuff for you. Could you just treat me like a king? Like, you ever seen those old movies where there's like a king and they're carrying him on a pole, right? And he's like on his side eating grapes and he'll peer out. He's like, look at the peasants, you know, close the drapes. God's like that. Just give me that. I'm better than that, but just give me that. Because the priests were instructed to carry God on the poles. But Uzzah's like, yeah, put him in the back of the old F-150. God's like, oh, Uzzah, 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 you're coming home with me today. (laughs) So that's what happens. God struck him down there because of his error, because he's a a horrible priest. Why is he a horrible priest? Because he didn't do what the manual said. Read 
the manual. <laughs> it's your one job. It was literally your one job just to know what I want. Don't guess about what I want. Just do what I want. So I'm not even asking that much. He died there beside the Ark of God. Now, in a parallel story, we'll go to uh, the next passage here in Chronicles. This is some months, some time after. David's going to reattempt to bring the Ark. Um, and so David summons the priests, Zadok, Abiathar, the Levites, Uriel. It's a whole homeschooler convention of names. <laughs> and he said to them, you are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Keep going. Because you did not carry it the first time. The Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rules. So the priests and the Levites consecrate themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles, as Moses had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. That's pretty cool. And it's, it's, it's in this section, if you, if you read on, where David dances. Remember, he's like, he's in his underwear just dancing before, before God. Do you remember that story? It's in this section here. So you see, like, spirit and truth. You see, in the confines of the truth, David's just worshiping God so liberally and beautifully. And remember, his, his wife, Saul's daughter, sees him dancing, and she's sort of disgusted. Let's keep reading. This is uh, Uzziah, not to be confused with Uzzah. Uzziah was a, a pretty decent king. Uh, but when he was strong, and in fact, the guy was actually a, a brilliant military strategist, invented like war machines and got Israel in a really great position, or Judah rather. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Um, only priests can do that. But he's going, oh, you know, I'm special. God's obsessed with me. He's always slipping into my DMs. He's like super obsessed with me. <laughs> right? God is just, oh, he's so into me. I can do nothing from him. And I, can just, I just do whatever I want because I'm special. And so he presumes, he assumes, he speculates upon the grace of God. And Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah. And they said to him, hey, bro, it's not like stay in your lane. This isn't your job. This is for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Uh, Go out of the sanctuary. You've done wrong. It will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was set, right? He's, oh, Georgie. <laughs> now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. It's interesting in, in these stories where everybody is kind of like, because they take an ice bath of truth and they always get angry about it. Right? They're, they're living in this fantasy. And then when they're confronted, their, their fantasy is confronted, they're always angry about it. it, it it's, many times anger is a very selfish emotion. You know, particularly when you're, it, it's all about you. Rather than just be corrected and go, oh, I, oh, I didn't realize this isn't all about me. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Huge difference. Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And the long story short is he runs out, and he's a leper until he dies. 
And so we see, we just read a bunch of these stories in the Old Testament, and we're seeing people die at worship services. That's the common theme. If you're looking for it, it's people die in worship services in the Old Testament when they make it all about themselves and they don't care about God at all. Now, before we read the New Testament, some of you are going, oh, I am so glad that God doesn't kill people in worship services anymore. <laughs> right? That's the Old Testament. That's like, that's a bit of a laughter of like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, here's the bad news. It keeps happening in the New Testament. Now, I know I don't look like the guy who would preach this type of message. I'm wearing a leopard print bucket hat at the moment, in case you didn't see it. I'm not a law man, okay? Like, I'm not like some, like, you know, I, I'm not a fundamentalist. But what I'm saying is we have some, I think we have some broken theology at the moment in terms of how we think about God. And specifically, that, that the mercy and the grace and the love of God and God's holiness. And what the threshold of that is and how that exactly works. I'm a big mercy guy. I know I need the mercy of God. All right, you guys ready to continue? Because it gets worse. <laughs> okay, we're not even going to read all this, but Acts chapter 5. I don't even need to get into this. Acts chapter 5, you got Ananias and Sapphira. Okay? Now, there are, there were, there are people who will say, particularly recently, uh, the Neo-Marcionites, that, uh, you know, it wasn't God that killed Ananias and Sapphira. It was Peter, classic Peter, always bringing a sword to the garden. You know what I mean? Jesus is like, <laughs> one of my favorite passages of Scripture, when Jesus is speaking metaphorically, it is time to sell a cloak and buy a sword. Peter's like, I'm literally doing that now. Right? He shows up to the garden with a sword. He's like, why do you have that? He swings at a dude, misses his head. It's like, how do you miss somebody? Jesus is like, how do you miss somebody's head? Honestly. You, he, was, he was standing there. He wasn't even moving. Jesus picks his, the ear up, just reluctantly heals him. He's like, Peter, you're killing me right now, right? You know, those who, killed, those who live by the sword, die by the sword, that's just about people who don't know how to use swords. You will definitely die at the sword, Peter. You are, honestly, don't. Okay, so where were we? The Neomarcionites, right? Peter abused, quote, Peter abused his apostolic authority, unquote. Okay, yeah, that's not what the scripture's saying. Like, almost every Orthodox scholar, for the last 2,000 years, believed that these were, A, Christians, they weren't not Christians, they were Christians. And B, that it was God that killed them. This is, how did this happen after the cross? I'm going to get there in a, in a second. But it happened. They died at a worship service where they're, they're, they're saying, hey, we just sold a property for, for $5 million and we're giving it all to the church. When really they sold the property for $500 million. And they're keeping most of it, but they just want to look good. They're posturing because church is all about them. It's about them getting something from this community, looking good, whatever the, their, their need was. And they lied to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit at this time is going, yeah, so I'm just starting the church at the moment, and that's not going to work. The Holy Spirit, obviously, the, the, 
the point of this passage is to prove that the Holy Spirit is God. That's the, that's the major point of, of Acts 5. But yeah, some Christians just died at a worship service. And, and then let's go here to, to 1 Corinthians 11, but first stop at 1 Corinthians 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Note that Paul calls it a cup of blessing. It's a cup of blessing. Uh, Pastor Mark, I'm a little bit sacramental when it comes to, you know, to, I, I believe it's more than just a symbol. I think that it's a cup of blessing. It's real presence, exactly. That Jesus is really here. And as we take these elements in faith, there's blessing. That you're eating and drinking the blessing of God into your life, that's huge. Like, what an honor. I'm a sinner. And I, 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 need, I need every grace available. I don't know about you, but I need every grace available. You hearing me? You know what I mean? During communion, we usually do crackers and you know the little cups. I'm typically looking for the other ones. I'm just like, do you have any more? I need at least five more of these. It's been that kind of week. I need all grace. You hearing me? It's the cup of blessing because it's a participation in the blood of Christ. What does the blood do? It cleanses me of all unrighteousness. Right? It empowers me. It doesn't just cover. It empowers me. Right? To be who I'm called to be, so that I can do what I'm called to do. I need that blood. There's wonder-working power. We used to sing that song. There's wonder-working power in the blood. I need that power. The bread that we break, is it not a participation? I need the body and the blood of Jesus. So from here, let's pivot to 1 Corinthians 11. In 1 Corinthians 11, and maybe you know this, but the Corinthians are literally the worst church in the Bible. Their church is a dumpster fire. They're divided. It's crazy what's, what's happening. The, the sternest warnings in the Bible, I think, to a church are, are there. You know, like God, Paul's like, you know, if you keep being divisive, God's going to destroy you. Okay. So that's 1 Corinthians 3. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, he's like, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. That's crazy. Right? So you have the rich people who bring all the food to the potluck. And then you have the poor people. They don't have any food. So typically, early church would go, okay, let's have a potluck meal. And everybody would eat and then they'd get to the bread and the wine and they go, okay, we're not just here for a meal. We're here to celebrate Jesus. And so we're going to remember who he is and, and what he's done for us. And as they begin to do that and they partake of the, the, the bread and the wine, uh, the gifts of the spirit would begin to manifest. And they begin to, you know, because the Holy Spirit is the one who mediates the presence of Christ in the church. And so, you know, Jesus is really here and they begin to pray for one another and prophesy and encourage one another. Um, and then they'd sing some songs um, and then there'd be a teaching and that was church. Well, what's happening in Corinth is the rich people are eating all the food that they brought and drinking all the wine that they brought. And so you have one person here who hasn't had a meal in a couple days, and you have this guy singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall. <laughs> Paul's like, are, are, you're kidding me, right? You are the worst church ever. <laughs> Keep reading. 
One goes other. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Right? You want to go Super Bowl ham? Do it at home. <laughs> not here. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul's going to begin to talk about eating of the, the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. And I just want to say this. The inclusio of 1 Corinthians 11 in this section. Like, what does it mean to eat of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner? Like, contextually? It means when you make church all about yourself. Right? These people are gouging, and they don't care about anybody else. It's just all about me. The because the inclusio at the end is, so brothers... Wait for one another, right? As in, like, it's not all about you, dude. Okay, so, so if we're making church all about ourselves, like Cain, like Nadab and Abihu, like Uzzah, and David got caught up in it, um, like Uzziah, like Ananias and Sapphira, what are the, what's going to happen in the New Testament? Well, this, let's keep on reading. If you eat the bread and drink of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you're going to be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. I don't know what that necessarily means, but I don't like the sound of it. You hearing me? I don't want to be guilty of that. I want to be on the receiving end of the cup of blessing. You hearing me? Uh, so let a person examine himself, as in check yourself before you wreck yourself. A little bit of wisdom from a 90s rapper. <laughs> I believe it was Vanilla Ice. Right? Like, maybe just, maybe just check yourself. Like, why are you here? Is this about you? Are you like that Christian influencer? You know, and, like, and I'm just trying to, and just everything in the Bible that I don't like, I just kind of get rid of, but and it's all about me, and I'm just trying to manifest, and just, you know, Jesus is my life coach, and I just, the parts of the Bible that I don't like, I tear out, and, you know, I have like the Thomas Jefferson Bible, and I just removed all the miracles, just anything that's strange, and it's all about me. I just, I go to church really to get fed, because it's kind of all about me. I don't contribute. I just go, I just kind of go from place to place just to kind of check them all. I'm really part of the body of Christ in general. I'm looking for the best programs. Oh, cool. Oh, that's great. Check yourself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, like not realizing what you're a part of. You're part of something that's bigger than yourself. Namely, you're, you're a part, this is Jesus' body. We're not here for us, we're here for him and his. I don't come to church necessarily for me, I come to church to, to give to the Lord. Because I'm a priest. I'm here for him. Lord, I'm, here. I'm here to, firstly and foremost, I'm here to minister to you. Firstly and foremost. And that would mean, then how do I minister to you, Lord? What, how do I minister to you? Oh, now I'm starting to make church about him and his. What would minister to you today, Father? God, what puts you in the center of everything? What would honor you? What would, what would just delight your heart? God, I want to bring something that matters to you. Lord, what posture should I have as I come to your house? 
Let's keep reading. Anyone who drinks and, and eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on us. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. It's crazy. But if we judged ourselves truly, we, we would not be judged. So if you just check yourself and go, you know, why am I here? Yeah, you know, I'm not here because I'm good and I'm perfect and it's all about me and Jesus is my life coach. No, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I'm broken. I need a healer. I'm here to, to, to receive from the table of the Lord. I'm here to minister to the Lord, to minister to others, to be fed. I want, I want the scripture to be preached. I want to hear God speak to me. Open my ear. Right, you're hearing me. That posture that we should have. And if we just did that, if you just checked yourself, do you remember in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah saw the four living creatures? Remember we read that passage in Revelation 4? Well, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees those guys. And he pees in his pants a little bit. <laughs> do you remember that? Do you remember that story? Isaiah, he sees, he, you know, he sees the throne. Of God. I saw the Lord seated on the throne, exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple with glory. I was freaked out, dude. I peed in my pants a little bit when I saw God. And, I, and he hit the deck. And, and, and somebody's like, you know, hey, who's, who goes there? He's like, I'm Isaiah. I got a potty mouth. Uh, my roommates have potty mouths. I am not clean, right? And God goes, I love that. Dude, I love how you just checked yourself. It's interesting. In, Isaiah saw the Lord in the year that Uzziah died. Right? Remember Uzziah that we, we read? Right? He just presumed, assumed, speculated, and went into the, you know, the temple. He's like, oh, I'm a priest. I can do whatever I want. It was in that year. Isaiah learned a lesson, obviously, from Isaiah, Uzziah's death. And he had a completely different reaction. So Uzziah assumes, presumes, speculates, dies. Isaiah pees in his pants a little bit and lives. In fact, God's like, I love this dude. He checked himself before he wrecked himself. Give him a, give him a call. He gets a call. The angels are like, he gets a call? Are you kidding me right now? He's like, give him a call, right? The angels get a call from the altar, cleanses his lips. He's like, you're my guy now. The difference between life and death is checking yourself. That's it. It's just going, yeah, you know what? I need God. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This passage is probably why I think that Ananias and Sapphira were Christians and they didn't go to hell. God was just like, you guys suck right now? Time out. This is God judged them. They were disciplined. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I'll give directions when I come. Okay, last passage and we're done. All right, Nate, great. Thanks for this sermon. It was super encouraging. I'm glad I, I spent my Saturday afternoon uh, you know, no, 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 for reals, the title of my, of my sermon was not God, Sometimes God Kills People. <laughs> but, 
I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that it's okay for us to have a, like for the pendulum to just, just, just let's pull it back a couple notches here. Where, right, God is love, and he just, and I can do whatever I want, and church is all, but that's what's happened. We've swung so far the other way. And I think that sometimes our churches are making our people sick. Because what we're doing is we are fostering these environments when people can come and they can try to manipulate God. And that's not a healthy option. It, it doesn't work. As we read from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, if you do that, some things might go wrong. I'll say this. It's not safe to worship God any way you want. Even if your motives are pure, as we read with, about David. God has an order. And we have to, to be self-conscious enough, like Isaiah, to just go, you know, I'm not God. And I, I don't get to tell God what he's like. He gets to tell me what he's like. And I don't get to worship God any way I want. I worship him the way he wants me to worship. And you know what's cool is, is God's not looking for perfection. He's not. Like, who's, com what is, who's communion for? Sinners? People like you and me and Isaiah, who are just going, yeah, God, uh, uh, I peed in my pants a little bit when I read your Bible today. Um, I need you. Right? That's, that's, what church, that's who church is for. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for a pulse. He's looking for somebody to just go, yeah, you know, uh, you're right and I'm wrong. And that's when you get a coal from the altar. Last passage here, Hebrews. Therefore, let, let's be grateful. The author of the book of Hebrews is writing to some Jewish Christians that are thinking about leaving Jesus. There's socio-economic persecution and they don't, have a, they don't have a temple, they don't have a priesthood, or they don't think they do. And so they're like, how do we, how do we even worship? And so the author's giving them some worship instructions. And he's saying, therefore, let, let's be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So you've received something real. And be grateful for it. This is a good posture of worship. And let's offer to God acceptable worship. Worship that God's asked for. Not just anything of our own imagination. Well, I can just worship however I want because Jesus. It's like, mm, eh, eh, maybe not. Offer acceptable worship. And we need to find out what that is. As Christians. We find out in scripture. And, and, and offer God acceptable with reverence and awe. With reverence and awe. It doesn't mean necessarily that you don't laugh in church. I grew up in a, you know, in a, in a, in a time when if you wore a hat in church, the usher would come over and squeeze your arm. Our, our Pentecostal ushers will murder you. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been abused by a Pentecostal usher. I used to go to this Pentecostal church when I was a kid, uh, Bethel Gospel Tabernacle, and the ushers all had like master's jackets, like matching, they had matching jackets that they'd wear. And they would come over and just Vulcan death grip your arms, like, ah, take that hat off, young man. You know, I was like, okay, you know. Is that reverence and all? Well, in that, in that, Period, to, to those people, it was reverence and awe to take your hat off. It doesn't mean that to my, to, to my generation. 
What does it mean to recover reverence and awe? I think it means to, to just be, you know, God, you're powerful. And your word is true. And I will reverence you and I will awe you. I, I will know that you're, you are love. Uh, but um, you're holy too. And your word is to be obeyed and feared. And, and, and yeah, I mean, that word fear, for God is a consuming fire. I mean, that verse is literally meant to elicit the pee in your pants thing. Right? The author didn't write, God is a marshmallow. <laughs> right? He is, he is a my pillow. <laughs> you know, one of Mike's my pillows. He's, God is just, he's fluffy that way. And, no, God's a consuming fire, dude. I grew up in Canada, and Canada's freezing cold, and we have bonfires all the time. And at my high school, we'd have bonfires on the weekend, and the hockey team, every single, every single Friday night, they'd drink 24 Labatt Blues, or Molson Canadians, and they would jump through a, a huge fire that they'd made. Because um, that's what we do in, during the winter, is we make fires and we jump through them um, in Canada. And every Monday, there'd always be a guy from the hockey team that was like, his jacket was singed, he was missing hair. Right? Because these guys did not reverence and awe fire. Right? And I'll just be honest with you, I reverence and I awe fire. I, I, I'm not scared of it. I, I've never been invited to a bonfire and been like, but what if I die? Right? Never. Because I reverence and awe it. I... I because I, and, and my actions suggest that. I, I, I really reverence and I don't put my hands on it. You know, I respect it, right? That's the way church is supposed to be. You should never be scared to come to a bonfire if you're reverencing and awing it. You should be like, oh, that's going to be the sickest time ever. That's my, I think that's, the, that's a healthy Christian posture towards God. What is God like? He's holy and he's love. And what should church be like? It should be a church where we can't wait to get that cup of blessing. Amen. Right, to eat. Because I need the table of the Lord. I need worship. I need to sit under the word. I need what the word's going to do to me. I need what those elements by faith are going to do to me. And, 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 I, and we're going to have a great time in church. I reverence and I awe the living God. Church, why don't you stand with me? Let me pray for you. And the band, I don't know where they're at. I think they're smoking cigars in the back or <laughs> playing a round of cards back there. I don't know what they do back there, but I'm kidding. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you. Um, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Lord, we thank you for that incredible grace of your self-revelation. Lord, we love you and we honor you. We want you to know that. Lord, your, your words are true. You are true. Your words are true. And we want to be a church that just reverences and honors you and it is in awe of you. Holy Spirit, you speak. Whenever we open scripture, you just begin to speak. You're the divine author of it. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, that this week, as we're going throughout our week, if there's any places in our life, surely there are. There's always places in our life that we can surrender more. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you that if there's any places in our life where maybe we've been making church like about us. And Lord, we want to we wanna come back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. And God, we want to say we're sorry. 
for the thing that we've made it, if we've made it something that it shouldn't be. Lord, we need your life. We're like Isaiah. We, we desperately need you. We have sin in our lives. We have broken places in our lives. And we need all grace. Father, thank you that you're patient and you're kind and you're, you suffer long. And I thank you, Lord, that as far as the east is from the west, so far you've removed our transgressions from us. And, and God, you don't deal with us according to our iniquity. You're so patient. Father, you're so patient with us. And we're so thankful for your love and your mercy and your grace. Holy Spirit, would you just give us a renewed sense, though, of your holiness and a, and a sincere reverence and an awe for your word and for your presence. We love you, Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you want to be a part of getting more Bible teaching out across the world, visit realfaith.com donate. And for more content like this, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's all about Jesus.